You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Moultrie Mobile. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written... It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit Tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 91. Justin Town said, something's fishy. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick is joined by editor-in-chief of Harvesting Nature, Justin Townsend. Justin lived down in the Keys and had his fair share of cooking and eating saltwater fish. Now he resides in Colorado and has to tune his craft to freshwater. Nick asks about fish cakes, fish dips, 
And is there anything we can do with freshwater roe? To finish out, Nick and Justin brainstorm a smoked salmon dockside pie. Get ready for some fish talk on this episode of Huntivore. Well, hey folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. It's still getting dark early. Um, we can't get around February, but it seems like also we're in the dog days of traveling. And if you've got kids, you understand what I'm talking about. Today, I was living the rural life and having every destination be 30 minutes away from where I was currently sitting. So between two different towns, two different kids events, and then finally coming home, like I feel really good to be sitting here and actually <laughs> sitting down to a record session. And to go along with that, I'm talking to a guy we've had on uh, about a year ago. Uh, we're back on with Justin Townsend. He's no longer living the key life. He's living the mile high life. He's in Colorado. Are you still working for the Coast Guard, but now you're in this uh, high mountain range? How does that all work? I, I am. Uh, I'm just uh, doing the fun job of logistics, so I get to move people, planes, boats, and toilet paper. It's not as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, with 2020 behind us and knowing what happens with toilet paper, I mean, you've got a key critical job right there. <laughs> it takes one cold, one cold to go south, and all of a sudden we're, we're running to the store again so that's a that's a logistics job you gotta take care of there absolutely yeah (laughs) so switching over into colorado just kind of as you've been settling in there um what's it been like to go from from keys into colorado are you you're starting to get your your roots established have you been able to find some some either hunting ground or fishing ground that you've been able to take advantage of this year I have, you know, it, it's it's been kind of an interesting assimilation into uh, into Colorado. You know, I I left. I'm originally from Oklahoma. I left Oklahoma at 18, so it's been now over 15, 20 years since I was. No, we'll say 15, 15 years since I was down there, and uh, so. Colorado shares a lot of ecosystems on the eastern side, similar to like Western Oklahoma. So that's why I bring that up. But um, kind of being back in the landlocked states uh, for the first time in a long time, it's kind of had to change my focus a lot. Uh, a lot of we got here in the summer, so we we fished a little bit, but not quite much. I was trying to sit down and figure out the draw, figure out where I was going to go, what I was going to do, and uh, I really kind of spent the season. Um, exploring and so i was i was in eastern colorado a lot out on the plains uh antelope mule deer all these other things um we spent some time in in the rockies for elk during archery season and then i was up in wyoming and just kind of like really just wandering around and i think i'm finally starting to dial things in Uh, i can say it was a very challenging year uh as far as like hunting wise and just trying to learn everything i didn't bring home a lot of game this year but uh, I'm excited. Spring turkey's going to kick off. I may be headed back out to Oregon for spring bear. So uh, we'll look to kind of start developing a routine. But uh, it was still a great year. A lot of folks visiting, too, um, coming in to hunt, coming in to fish. So we definitely got to get out and explore. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah, I think everybody kind of goes through some of those changes, especially when it comes to a location change. Like for mm-hmm. you, I mean, halfway across the country, but even guys that, you know, finally leave home and they leave their home hunting grounds, all of a sudden, man, they got to they gotta start over. Grandpa's 
grandpa's tree stand or you know the old <laughs> old faithful just ain't there anymore and so you've yeah. gotta you gotta create those new spots so i'm 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 glad to hear that you're taking an optimistic positive approach to it. I could see how it could be really one of those like man, this is tough and you know, you kind of just get frustrated. And I'm sure there were frustrating moments, but you seem to be taking it in stride. Yeah, it, it makes you, it does make you question. I'll admit it. Like, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I just haven't found the right space to do the right things. But also, too, like, I enjoy traveling around and hunting, and I have for, you know, several years. And you, you oftentimes, like, go into a place. For instance, like last year, we were. Uh, four of us went to, or no, five of us went to Oregon to the coastal range to black bear hunt in the spring. Uh, only one person had ever seen anywhere we were going to hunt. And so he's like, yeah, you know, I've seen some bear sign here. I've seen some there, you know, and, uh, we were all just kind of like, all right, cool. Like, we'll just go there and check it out. So really like you kind of just spend the time exploring and then until you get it dialed in and, and figure out what's going on. But because Colorado's got so much diversity in like the hunting and fishing, it's it's kind of easy to get for me to get pulled in different directions. Be like, oh, this weekend I want to go goose hunting, or this weekend I want to go elk, or you know I'm going to go squirrel hunting, or I'm you know ice fishing. Like I'm just all over the place, so it's fun. <laughs> Sportsman's paradise out there. I'm I'm a little bit jealous. Now I'm in a bit of a paradise myself, but it's glad mm-hmm. to see that you guys have taken some footholds and. I think just as you've made your transfer as the the head and chief of uh, harvesting nature, your brand has really exploded in this this past year as well. Have have you noticed numbers and people being very interested on, you know what, I can grill this backstrap the same way that I've been grilling it day after day and enjoy it, but I'm ready for something new. Have you been seeing a lot more folks getting interested into their wild game? I, I think so. Absolutely. And um, I, I think it's not just on harvesting nature, too. I think across the board, you know, um, I won't I won't tell you that I spend a lot of time on social media, but like I get on there and I browse and I look around and I see, you know, and it's not just the folks that you expect to regularly post wild fishing game food photos or anything like that. Like people are just sharing and it's great because there's, you know, I think one of the big things that I saw that kicked it off was back probably three years ago, two years ago, Facebook started the groups and everybody's got, everybody's got a group now. And they're just like these community centers where people are just like, Hey, check out what I cooked. Hey, check out what I cooked or, Oh, Hey, you know, I have this that I'm curious about. Like, how do I make, you know, truffled elk backstrap, you know, like whatever. So it's cool to see the explosion and I'm happy. I'm happy to be like in the center of it and, and kind of just being able to help, interact with folks and and just chat through all kinds of awesome things and see that people are proud to share what they're doing. I think that's the best thing. Yes. Yes. As one who is, I do, I love to post it. If I make something delicious, man, I want to take, I want to take some pictures and I want to, you know, tell people hopefully that they do it. But at the same time, I'm like, all right, what's everybody else got? I need, I need a new direction. I need something to, to bounce off of. So that's been, it's been good to watch. Yeah. Like communities do that. And just with the launch that you guys have been doing at, at uh, Harvesting Nature, you had the, the original Fish and Game podcast, mm-hmm. and then you launched the short stories. Mm-hmm. And, and this was perfect because it ran into the time where all of a sudden we weren't doing anything uh, as, a, as a world. And I was able just to catch up on 
a lot of stories from people and jump in onto that. And I actually got to sit in in a couple of cooking classes that yeah. you guys were putting together. You were putting together uh, dinner night or what or whatever it was the the Zoom meetups that you were doing with folks yep. that you would have somebody. I was on the one with Jeff Benda, and that was such a riot. And you know, Jeff got done, and he was talking with everybody, and it was good. And then pretty soon, I'm in the message board. And I'm like, everybody put their emails in, and like five to six people just threw their emails in. It's just this big switch of of communications, and I've got a chance to make connections with other people that I don't think I would have normally made. And so that was just a really neat opportunity and for someone to have like you know just to be, sit back and be like okay jeff tell me what to do and <laughs> you know end up with something beautiful at the end of it i think yeah. that's a great way for people to get involved with what they're doing as, as i remember uh you were on the venison guyette right yes yep that yes. was it that's such a cool recipe i tell you i I took that recipe and used it at a potluck that we finally had. It was in October. We call it Croctober at our at our school, and all the teachers, you know, you sign up for whatever you want to bring. And I cheated because the galette doesn't fit in a crock pot, nor does it like end up as like a salad. So I was all mm-hmm. automatically breaking all the rules. I was <laughs> like, I'm just I'm going in with what I got. And so I wrote that on there, and the the whole week prior, there was, you could just hear the whispers of like, "What's a galette?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, my little midwestern town was just like, "I don't know if I'm gonna have any of this." <laughs> and I tell you, I brought it down to the to the uh, teachers' lounge, and I brought home an empty pan. And yeah. when I bring home an empty pan or a licked bean plate or plate, I know like, bam. It's a winner. So it was. I already sent that message off to Jeff, so he knows that, yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. That's one that worked, at least in my little uh, school. It, it really hit that's, the home run. It's such awesome feedback to hear that, too, because both your kind of story there of, like, taking the recipe away and then, um, you know, that, that interaction and community, that was kind of the whole purpose of why we started uh, and we, we called it uh, the Harvesting Nature Supper Club because it's really what you're That's doing. What it was. Yeah. Like you're, you're coming and you're learning to cook a dish, but you're also like it's an interaction piece. And I think at a point during COVID where people were really craving interaction, it was like, why not? And, um, you know, we're, we're still running them. We, we launched our spring course. Uh, so Adam Berkelmans and I are teaching the spring courses. Um, we're doing like every other week right now um online too still i don't know maybe people are a little uh zoomed out or you know it's okay <laughs> but we're we're still doing them we're still having them so if people want to jump on there they're an awesome point uh i'm doing an egg roll one uh actually this week so i think it'll probably miss depending on when you release this but uh either way people should go check it out because there's there's plenty more we've got them running until may good good yeah the this episode uh drops post super bowl so we can talk about how how much indigestion we have from all the fat (laughs) and stuff that we've eaten throughout that game but this is actually going to drop on valentine's day i want to say it it's the monday's the 14th quick check Uh, here it is monday's the 14th so happy valentine's day justin yeah happy valentine's day (laughs) (laughs) so i I kind of wanted to get off of, yeah, what are you going to cook for your spouse? Not That's not to say that uh, our tangents can't get into there, 
but I was actually thinking up a little bit further ahead that we're getting into a season of using fish pretty heavily. Um, mm-hmm. There's a good amount of Catholics that are here in Michigan and in West Michigan, and Lent is a big deal. Um, I don't know a lot of like hardcore Catholics, if that's what you would refer to them as, or devout Catholics that go to the extent of completely changing their diet during the season of Lent. But there is an old school crowd that definitely the fish fries pop up at mm-hmm. all the the Friday normal places all the all the fry houses seem to be popping up and just utilizing more of our fish and i think after probably about the second week people are like listen jesus i'm all about thinking of you about every day but i don't know if i can handle another deep fried piece of fish i gotta find something else and so to like give folks a chance to be like what are some different things that we could do with some fish and so that's where I had you on tonight. I had a couple ideas I wanted to bounce off of you. One of which right. was instead of maybe going full submersion uh, into into frying, that we end up with a fish cake. That at least we you know pan fry at that point where you can you can use olive oil or you can use something different. Heck, you could probably go to even to the length of baking this. Am I right? Yep. Can you bake a bake a fish cake? Yeah, absolutely. Good. Um, because I've also know that like some of my bluegills that I do pull out, I got some big fillets, and then you end up with some. You're like, man, you don't have much to you, pal. You're just mm-hmm. a little dinker, and it'd be real. I mean, to dink that into, you're getting batter off of that. That's that's all you're gonna taste off of that little morsel. So to incorporate him, and then all the ramshackled other fillets that didn't come out as nice looking. To get those and to use those in a better way rather than just drenching them in drakes. So let's let's break down a fish cake. What what would be a basic mix up of a fish cake that you're putting together? Are we looking at a lot of breadcrumb on one of these things, or is this a good way to use up offensive of fish? I think it's a good way to use up offensive fish, and like really, really, you can go. I mean, you can go. Your premium cuts of fish, you can go with uh, less popular fish. You know, you start getting into the carp realm. You start talking about pike and all those other fish that, you know, have a lot of bones in them that you don't want to mess with. You can throw those in the food processor, pulse those down to where they're like nothing. And then you're adding your egg. And basically, like, for a fish cake, your kind of basic is going to be your fish, you're using like an egg as your binder and then your breadcrumbs and then whatever seasoning you want to put in there. Like I'm, I'm from the South. So a lot of my seasoning is going to be like Cajun or Creole seasoning. People put old Bay in them. People put, you know, Italian seasoning, people put, you know, whatever you want. There's, there's no season judgment when it comes to fish cakes. (laughs) (laughs) I I figured as much because it is, I mean, I, I guess, you know, being up here, I'm trying to something new, and fish cakes has always been one of those things that you get on vacation. You either get mm-hmm. them on the East Coast or you get them down South. And so to bring that into something that we make just out of the stuff that we have uh, at our house, um, I will tout that, yes, I do. You mentioned pike. I myself got uh, the biggest fish, all species, that I've ever caught on a tip-up that I put together in a hole that I uh, board into the ice. Like, I just feel so proud of this. Pulled it out. It's 
26 and a half inch, which made it legal by two and a half inches. So I was like, heck yeah. Like, I finally nice. got a keeper on this one. In fact, I, I have a war wound. I don't know if I can oh. show that. Yeah, on the knuckle where where I pulled him up out of the uh, the ice, I wasn't wearing a glove on that hand, so I got I got bit by the uh, the line. It dug into my finger a little bit, so I was like, oh. But now I'm, I'm I showed it off to a bunch of people at work today. I'm like, see see this <laughs> this is this is me battling a pike. Um, one side of that, like being a real bony fish, the one side of that I got looking real nice. I went with the five uh, the five piece method, tried mm-hmm. to get around those Y bones and. The right side, the first side, I did very well on. The left side, because now I didn't have any structure to them and I was chasing the fish around a little bit on the board, it got chewed up quite a bit. And so that's where it was like, this could be really good in in a fish cake. So that's where I was like, man, this could could be something really good here at at this point. Um, But yeah, you're using pretty much any freshwater fish. In, in this is possible, or is this a way oh, to yeah. hide some of the stuff that you're like, eh, it's a little bit questionable, like you said with carp. This is where you can kind of hide hide some of those uh, pungent flavors. I think I think fish cakes are like, if all else fails, make a fish cake. <laughs> like, you could have, like, leftover fish in your fridge that you've cooked. You know, like, uh, here's a prime example, like salmon, right? You go and you buy a filet of salmon at the store, and then, like, it never fails. I always overestimate how much salmon I'm going to need. And I end up with like leftovers and it's great. But also when salmon sits in the fridge for too long, it dries out. And so you're like, I don't want to put it in the microwave. I don't want to stink up the office. I don't want to deal with that. So like, what am I going to do? Flake it off the skin, throw it, bread crumbs, seasoning. If you want to throw any vegetables in there, onions, whatever, egg, mix it all together, make a nice firm fish cake, and then either, like you said, bake or fry it. And it's like, you can do it with pre-cooked fish, too. I love it. I love it. This is, we refer to them as freezer treasures, where mm-hmm. you've you've left something in there a little bit too long, or it's it's got a little <laughs> bit of that uh, freezer burn aspect where yep. you're like, shoot, now what do I do? The fish cake is the answer to this. Yeah. It's been under our nose the whole time. What's it? You know... Long John Silvers, they've had it, and we've just kind of scoffed at the idea. (laughs) And now we're finally coming right on back (laughs) to that. I would say another thing to think about for your pike is pickled pike. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about pickled pike. So when you pickle fish, uh, the vinegar in it actually will will, uh, disintegrate those bones. So if you miss bones inside the fish when you're filleting it, and you, you have a concern about it, especially with pike, because there's a lot of them, or carp, there's a lot of those too, you can pickle it. And when you pickle it, like I said, dissolves it. I mean, think about um, not quite like a pickle. I was going to say, you're, the pickle brine here at this point, I mean, we're not talking necessarily like full-on dill. Like pe- we, you people gotta, I mean, you, you could can use it. You, yeah, you could <laughs> use it. But, no, it, I mean, it's more common – um, it's more common like white vinegar. You're not going to put as many, you can put pickling spices in it, but understand like it's going to take on that heavy flavor from the spices too. You know, you put onion, you put garlic in there. Like one thing I love about doing kind of that like quick pickling, cause you're not canning it. Like when you're doing the quick pickling, which is like, all right, you're soaking it in there. It's going in the fridge for like three or four days a week. And then you're pulling it back out and then you're eating it. Like, that part of it, um, 
you know, you can really do whatever flavors you want. And I, I would say, like, stick to flavors that you enjoy. If you don't like onions, don't put onions in there. If you like dill, put dill in there. Like, just, uh, you know, play around with it. But th- I think it's a good use of it uh, outside of a fish cake, too. Gotcha. My my initial run at it is I got real excited about a smoked whitefish dip. Um mm-hmm. Get, I get excited about that in the winter time, and like as I'm pulling this fish out and then you know sticking a mix to the sled, like instantly thoughts are going through my head, and I kept coming back to like this. This was the first bite of something not domestic that I that I had uh, when I was a wee kid. Pickled or not pickled pike, smoked pike was my first bite into Ooh. the world the world of outside uh, supermarket. Okay. Pre bluegill, pre pre all this, that was the first bite that I had, or at least that I remember. And so, like instantly, like I mean, nostalgia hits me like super hard, and I'm like, oh, we're smoking this thing instantly. And then I got into the idea of like, man, I have been hankering for a fish dip, like a smoked pike uh, dip, just sounds like right up my alley where I want to come from. I want to be thick with smoke. I want to have you know big chunks of that pike that are in the dip itself like i really want to go for the chunky aspect of it is that something like even with i've taken pretty good care on the one half of it to make sure there's no bones in it with the flaking of it like smoking it and then flaking it that it gives me like one extra chance to even like oh there's a there's a y bone that i forgot Mm -hmm. yeah because that that meat's gonna um you know, meat's going to condense as you cook it, as the moisture comes out of it. And so that should kind of expose those bones. But then also as you're flaking it, you kind of like think about, think about like crab. When you get a lump crab, you always kind of pick over it to pick out the little bits of shell, just like that. It's already cooked. So you can just kind of like move through it with your fingers or, you know, fork or whatever and kind of get those little extra bits of bone. Good deal. Good deal. See, this is all I needed. I just needed someone to just like, you know, give the thumbs up, like, hey, you're in the right direction. Like, I would still check for bones, but, yeah, you're, you're getting the right direction. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty – I mean, you definitely don't want to miss a bone. So I always kind of pick over things a couple times when if I'm doing, like, flaking or anything like that. But it's interesting you say the fish dip. I, I don't think I've had fish dip with, with pike before. Whitefish is usually the go-to. It's huh. – uh-huh. for some reason – I mean, it's big in our Great Lakes – and so that's it's just one of the things that that's what they've used for it is just you get the white fish in you smoke it. Um, I've heard get people doing it with suckers as well, mm-hmm. uh, type of type of crop or uh, a type of carp. But I don't know, like just again going back and like, man, I feel like this pike needs to be smoked. I need to get this into my smoker, um, and that was like the first direction that I had gone. Maybe it's because we're having friends and stuff over. And I want to share. I basically I want to be able to share this with as many people as possible. Sure. And I thought I was getting the most mileage out of the said fish by using it as a dip. But then at the same time, you're bringing up like the pickling aspect, and just to have something completely different, that might be something I keep on there. Or I just go catch another fish. That's probably ultimately what I think I need need to go. do. Yeah, rather Sounds than like worry about to go out, <laughs> <laughs> rather than worry about every single morsel and ounce of this one. Like, let's just get some more to go along with it. I think I think both are good strategies. I think uh, uh, you know, looking to take care of what you got is a perfect fallback. But yeah, if you go out and catch more, go catch more for sure. 
Yeah, I I marked that tip up. He's it's lucky right now. It's got a it's got a knife dig into the side of it for. Uh, if, I'm going to keep tallies on the side of it. So this one's nice. got one. We got one tally. <laughs> got to start somewhere. I don't know. It, I picked it up last year with finally like all right. I I have friends that go out and do this like, and I see them bring their kids out like I'm. I'm kind of tired of, like, hoping to get invited. Like, let's just go and do this. So there was one night I just went to the uh, – well, I was there for archery archery league, and I got there early, and I literally just – the guys that were standing there, I held up my credit card, and I just go, okay, I want to go ice fishing, and help me do this. It was like having six personal shoppers running around <laughs> the whole store. At one point, I knew it was going to happen. At one point, I was like, okay, done. We're done. Because right now we're going to have a lot of red flags when that card gets swiped. <laughs> we we got to stop. But we got hooked up with three tip-ups and two rods and a whole number of different options for, for lures. So, I don't know. I got really excited about the tip-ups and their possibilities. So, yeah, that was our my first success story, I would say, with that pike. Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review, uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at huntvor at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. The other thing about that that pike too, I mean, I keep coming back around to this, but guys are finding this around. They'll find it with perch, um, is the amount of row that come off these winter fish. These hens down there, you don't know it at the time. I mean, you pull them up and they do the, you know, all of them look nice and big and plump. But when you sink that blade in and, and open them up, you see these huge sacks of row of of fish eggs. Um, I know in a lot of fish, like, A, it's a delicacy, but it mm-hmm. takes a whole process to, to cure them. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're in a brine, and then they get packaged with salt, you know, if we're talking sturgeon eggs. But I don't know. Is there a – and that's where I came to you as someone who's a little bit more in-depth into fish, and I know that um, freshwater isn't necessarily your forte, but tell us about uh, freshwater roe. Is this something we just discard, or is this something that we can we can play with? Because it takes up a lot of space inside those hens. I tell you, I tell you, my first memory as a kid of seeing somebody eat freshwater roe. It was uh, one of my stepdads, and uh, we were fishing uh, in Oklahoma at one of the rivers, River Creek, whatever that ran uh, near the property we lived at, and I remember him catching this largemouth bass. You know, it was probably, it was a good two, three pound bass, like whatever. And, uh, man, I must have been, maybe I was like five or six. But I remember it for the weirdness of it. 
because I was just like, what is going on? Like, you know, I've grown up my entire five year life at this point, seeing people like fillet fish, fry fish, fillet fish, fry fish, fillet fish, maybe grill fish. But he cuts the, the rose sack out of this bass and then he takes it and he's like, here's what we're going to do with this. We're going to put it on this plate. And so he puts it on the paper plate, covers it with a paper towel, puts it in the microwave and then runs it for like, you know, two, three minutes and cooks it all and then takes it out and just eats it with a fork. <laughs> and it's still to this day. I was like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> well, I'm so glad I brought this subject up to you again. <laughs> yeah, I can relive that moment. <laughs> um, so now when I run the microwave, do I want to go full power or do I want <laughs> to? What you got to do is you got to drop it down to 120 watts. That's gotcha. true. Like, <laughs> no, I no idea. Uh, to this day, I've never replicated this. So I don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> um. But when we talk about Roe, so I'll, I'll lead this off with a disclaimer. Um, when you start talking about curing um, and eating freshwater fish, like there's a reason that you don't see a lot of freshwater fish in sushi, right? Because uh, saltwater fish carry parasites, but they don't often carry parasites that transfer over to humans. Freshwater fish, because of the types of waters they usually live in, oftentimes carry parasites that will cross over to humans. So I say this not to like freak everybody out, but like if the water looks gross, if the, something's up with the fish, if it just looks off, like trust your gut. But there's also like a few steps that you need to do to kind of like prevent that. Um, that's part of the curing process. But if you even want to go a step further, when you start talking about roe and and uh i i learned a lot about curing roe from adam berkelman so adam's a contributor at harvesting nature he's got a website called the intrepid eater he's actually got a full article on this and breaks down uh the process of curing roe which is really great because he does a good job of it um but you can freeze you can freeze the roe like you want to be careful with it so you're not like busting the eggs or anything but you can freeze it for a couple days and that's generally like if you see recipes for like um, freshwater ceviche or cured roe or things like this, like there's generally a freezing point in there. And if there's not, there should be. So just think about that. So you can do that. Um, Adam's got his is kind of broken down, uh, into two different sizes based on time periods needing in the cure. And so, uh, like perch or panfish, He's, he's recommending like 10 to 12 minutes uh, in the cure. And that's basically just a saltwater brine. So I think you will find a ratio. It's usually like a, a 1 to 8 or a 1 to 10 salt to water. Gotcha. So, and that salt kills all the, the nasty little bits in there and like cures it up. Um, if you want to do something like trout or pike, like you're suggesting – you're looking probably like 30 minutes to an hour. All right. Now, is this straight salt that uh, Adam's suggesting, or do we need to get into the pink salt aspect? The uh, Nope, no, no the pink salt. Nope, so this is just kosher salt. Okay. So when you're doing curing and things like that, like you mentioned, you have the pink salts uh, with your, your nitrates and your nitrites. You know, like you get in the argument of those, which 
Uh, <laughs> I don't think we have time for that. So we don't. But we then, don't. But then you have like you have iodized salt and you have kosher salt. You want to kind of stay away from iodized salt. Uh, you want to try to stick to like kosher salt or sea salt or or one of those mere uh, unprocessed forms of the salt. Gotcha. It due to salinity at that point. How much of that salt taste you're going to be transferring? Is that is that what they're looking at, or is just kosher just mm-hmm. does a better job? Um, I I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. I I stick with kosher. I use kosher. Um, so it's it's funny when you you mention like iodized salt and you put iodized salt under a microscope and it looks like a little block, like a little cube. When you put culture salt under a microscope, it's like kind of all jaggedy, but it has like this hollow center, um, which is good when you're cooking because it allows it to absorb more easily into the flavor of the entire dish. Sort of thinking it holistically like that. I I think. I would stretch it out that way, but gotcha. it also could be that that's just what they had on hand when they were using it, like sea salt, kosher salt, all that. So um, I'm a big kosher salt guy. That's pretty much all I have in my uh, – that and, like, smoked salt are really all that I keep in, in the cabinets here. Sounds good. No, that was good. I wanted to just touch on the iodide stuff. So we've got it in the – for about an hour is where I want to put that rose sack in. Um Yep. Now that I've got it cured, man, that's that's a fast cure at that point. It is. Yeah, and um, that's really the time is going to determine how salty it's going to be. So if you, like, let it go on for longer, it's going to continue to pick up more of those salt. Um, so that's going to kind of be your point. So you can, at a certain point, you know, maybe halfway through the process, start to kind of taste it and like, hey, is this is this good? Is this salty enough? Is it not salty? Like, do I want it to be saltier? Um, yeah, I think that's kind of it. And then after all that, uh, sorry, I'm just reading up on it. This is a refresher. No, this is good. This is good because in my mind, I'm also like this – it's literally that's how I'm going to serve it up. Once I'm gone through the cure, pull it out. I'm I'm finding some way to to dish this up, garnish it up, and this is something that's like on a piece of piece of toast or a rye chip or this is something we're like we're literally legitimately dipping into mm-hmm. to have as like a, an hors d'oeuvre. So once you've reached the period, you want to drain drain the salt water. You don't want to leave it in that. Correct. And, correct. Uh, you've you've yep. pulled it out. You've let it drip yep. dry at that point. And then from there, yeah, just treat it like caviar, just like you said. I mean, cream cheese, whatever, mini pancakes, crackers, whatever you want to do. Get fancy. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I love things that are unexpected, and I love mm-hmm. things to, you know, surprise people for the exciting part. Not not my uncle throwing row into a microwave, nuking it, and then him taking a bite <laughs> off of it. Like I could see how that could really do do something like that. But to be like I don't know, like we've already talked about the the game that's happening, uh that would have already happened by the time this happened. So hey, go Rams. Go Stafford. That's my quarterback. At least he was my quarterback with when he was with Detroit. <laughs> we've we've done the old Verlander move where we're we're sick of we're 
he's never going to win, so we kind of kick him out just so that he can go win. And here he is <laughs> in the Super Bowl, and we're all over here like, see, told you he was good. It was us that sucked. <laughs> So I'm hoping that goes through. But, yeah, that would be super fun to be able to serve up at that because I think the folks that that I will be around, they're definitely going to be like, oh, geez, Nick's up to something. I'm not sure if I want to partake, but at the same time, uh, he hasn't hasn't dished up anything that I haven't liked. So at least that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I I mean, it sounds like cool. I actually, in thinking about it now, now it it peaks, peaks it up to the top of the list for me. Um, cause I've been wanting to do some pickled pike here soon. I haven't been out ice fishing yet, but I'm going to, um, and I, I'm hoping now that I, I get, uh, I land a pike with a row sack in there or trout with a row sack, whatever. Yeah. S- sounds like a good adventure. No microwaves though. No microwaves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I got on this kick, especially as 22 started and the whole thing was like, um, shortages and delays and supply chain. And mm-hmm. these were all words that we just kept hearing all throughout the tail part of 21. And so one of the big things like for this year, I've been like, let's, I don't know, I guess, it, I guess it would be like a resolution at this point, but like, I wanted to choose like self-resilience or self-sustaining uh, a lot of ideas where it's either I'm I'm in charge of something or you know something's going to happen based upon me or the choices that I'm making. I'm I'm cutting out a lot of chains uh, mm-hmm. or shortening those chains up, and you know I've been successful with that with with at least some of my protein here. But then to add that into some different areas, and one of which is now that I'm acquiring new protein, I'm finally getting productive in this ice fishing thing you know until the ice is gone but you know off that pike the the thing there is to like stretch that out and to have like that fish put a lot of energy into that row sack and for me to just be like well i don't immediately have a use for you so you know into the compost with you but to be like hold up how can i harness that energy Mm -hmm. um my quick search on on and asking other folks on what they do with it um you know they have they've got chickens or they've got um fowl uh out in their yard or they raise raise ducks or whatever and they find that the the geese absolutely go nuts for or the ducks or chickens or whatever they just go nuts for that that row and i think they i don't think they see it necessarily as an well they probably see it as an egg knowing themselves when a hen busts an egg, at least I know this for turkeys, when she breaks an egg, she eats that whole thing right on mm-hmm. up as quick mm-hmm. as she can because that's energy she put into that. And to say, like, man, this is such an energy-packed, rich, you know, product that this this critter has made, this fish has created. Like, how can I, A, you know, highlight that, but at the same time, like, man, that's another whole, I don't want to say whole meal because at that point it's like an hors d'oeuvre, but... Man, that just takes that one catch one, that that much further, and so that's where I think twenty two has gotten me to really think about those those off bits. Like, am I doing justice to this animal by taking mm-hmm. its life? But at the same time, like, can I stretch can I stretch its energy further? I don't. Know, that's where I was going with that. And I know some people that's one of those things like, ah, geez, you're thinking too much about it. And other folks, I think I, it resonates with them, and they like the idea of use as much as possible. 
I, uh, I, man, I'm so spot on with, with what you're just saying there. And it's funny that you mentioned like, all right, I want to, I want to stretch this and I want to get all that I can out of this. And like, even the row. And I have been reading this book, it's called delicious. And it's, uh, it's like the evolution of flavor and how it made us human. Uh, I'm, I'm big. So I have an anthropology degree, so I'm big in like all these, uh, cultural and evolutionary books and, and theories. And one of the thoughts that they present there is like, we have acquired our taste of like, I want this, uh, based on the evolution of the human body in the fact that it needs that whatever element or mineral or vitamin is in that food substance that it needs it. So when you start thinking about roe and caviar and you think about where, where they're predominantly consumed in the U S like Russia, right? This is what always pops into my mind. Yeah. Well, Russia has super harsh winters and you ice fish and you do all these other things. And so people are curing and smoking and doing all these things because they're trying to get exactly, like you said, they're trying to get the most out of this fish at a point in time where food is the scarcest. So it just ties into that. I'm just like, it, it's crazy when you think about it. Cause it's just like the body needs it it's a really vital resource. The chickens see it, the turkeys see it, we see it. And it's just like, we got to just move our mind back to that mindset to say, Hey, we need to use this because it's, it's, it's vital. Gotcha. I love that my like ancestral like feelings are coming out. Yeah. That could be a good thing. I hail from Scotland. So all of a sudden I'm going to start looking at uh, stomachs a little different. I think I I better watch that. I'm going to start making my own haggis. (laughs) But at the same time, like, no, I, it's good to know that, like, that that is, yeah, that's something that, that is a thing that I don't, I don't feel crazy anymore no. for, for having that, that draw anyway. No, I don't think you should. Well, good. Well, man, we've gone, we've gone over fish cakes um, that if, yeah, if you're totally down and out, just make a fish cake and you can make it with, with anything that you're going with. Um, the fish dip, I wanted to go with the pike on that one, but I know white fish is always a good thing. And pretty much, I think you can, like where you were talking about even using the salmon in that. And speaking of salmon, I've already got some of that smoked. Um, that was my past little project. And I, I got really excited for doing a shepherd's pie. If I'm going to, if I'm going to circle all the way back around, man, we took a large rabbit trail, I'm taking, circling all the way back around to where we were talking about different dishes that you could have for Lent. I wanted to come up with a, a fish pie or a shepherd's pie. And actually, I, I didn't think shepherd needed to be involved with it. That would be something I feel like had legs and hooves. And here we have, have fins. So I wanted to call it a dockside pie. Ooh, I like it. And essentially, I got smoked salmon. And I want, I want a... I want a potato top, but I don't want to go the route of like a russet or even like a, a Yukon gold. I want a savory sweet potato topping to it. Ooh. So this is my direction. And so by saying this, I am I'm coming I'm coming to Justin in all his knowledge because we're gonna brainstorm this out. This is a project that I am working on right now. I it elements are in the fridge and we're gonna hash this out. So if it turns out amazing, I have to give a lot of credit to Justin. <laughs> and if it doesn't turn out, I'll I'll own 90% of it. How about that? I'll take 90. 
<laughs> I'll, I'll share it with you. I'll share it. We'll do a 50-50 split if it doesn't come out well. Sounds um, good. Oh, man. This is... So, um, okay. It's, so here's it's, my idea. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So shepherd's pie, if anybody doesn't understand what a shepherd's pie is, basically it's like a, a really thick stew or a roe, and you've, you've got elements in there. Um, a traditional shepherd's pie would be something like either a chunked or a ground meat mixed with uh, carrots, uh, corn, onions, you name it. Throw in XYZ vegetable that you would have in a stew. You actually put that into like a basically an oven-ready dish, something that's like a couple inches on either side, casserole dish that would be a great spot for that. And then you end up topping it that that thickened stew you end up topping it with uh, a mashed potato get some high points on it don't make it smooth because you want those like really caramelized bits you want the you know the little uh, brown ends on there to really crispen up uh being here in the midwest i'm sure cheddar cheese is going to get knocked onto there there's going to be a dry <laughs> ranch packet someplace um but then that gets shoved into the oven Oh, I'm thinking 350, 400 degrees for 30 minutes. You're wanting to just warm all this through because most of it's already cooked at this point. Then you pull it out and you just serve that up. And you basically, it's it's a kid who doesn't like to mix food. It's their nightmare. But a one who likes to mix food, I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> My brother couldn't stand it because it was all mixed together. And, uh, you know, I like I like to mix things in. You know, let, let all those flavors meld. So that's where I came in like, all right, if I want to go to the sweet potato top and now I all of a sudden I want to get this filling in with uh, this fish, I was trying to think of like basically three elements to the filling. I didn't want to get too crazy with it. And the elements that I had was um, using using bigger pieces of onion. Like I still want the crunch of the onion to be in there uh, with the flaked salmon. I did have a salmon and spinach omelet someplace Mm -hmm. and i really enjoyed having that and so to have that be like the green bit the green piece that would go in there knowing that it would be wilted at that point because of Mm -hmm. how how warm it was going to be but to have the salmon the onion and the spinach and that's what i had at least for my base that i was going to be looking in to having that row is there another element that you're thinking needs to be popped on off that or are you thinking you got a good start so let's just you know keep it simple stupid or is there one more little element that i should be adding i, I think you you have to add your like sauce you have to have a sauce so like in a traditional yeah. shepherd's pie you do having like a brown gravy sauce but i don't think you want to go with a brown gravy for the salmon correct i think you want to go with like a cheesy creamy sauce gotcha so a cheesy creamy something along the lines of like swiss I don't want to go. I don't want to go cheddar. I want to go something a little milder. Yeah, I think um, you know. I always like is a like Havarti or Fontina. I really like Fontina. It's probably one of my favorite. But it's a light, it's a light creamy cheese. Gotcha. Those are good. I think you could go with Swiss too. All um, right. Let's take the let's take the the Fontina. Um, mm-hmm. How am I going to translate that in there as my as my sauce? I'm am I heating up milk at this point? Doing like a, almost a basic row and then just adding cheese into it. How am I? How am I going to create this sauce? Um, I think if you ended up, if you did like a, 
if you did a roux of like flour and butter, like you're going to end up with too rich a product and it's just going to be like a very, very decadent dish. And you're just going to kind of walk away with it with your <laughs> eyes wide of like, holy smokes, unless that's what you want. Then in that case, I think I would stick to like almost thinking about uh, making like a runny mac and cheese. Okay. So if you, you did heat the your milk or cream, um, and then took like shredded cheese and add it in and like whisk it in to get like kind of a runny consistency. Cause you want it to, you know, with a shepherd's pie, it kind of holds together, but you've got all the ground meat kind of binding the sauce together. But I think with the fish and the spinach and the onion, you're going to get, you, you want to enjoy that. And the yeah. cream just kind of wants to be after. So it, it might be okay. Like you leave a little bit of cream on the plate when you're done. Like, it's okay. Nobody's going to be upset at you. Uh, and then you're going to have the mashed, the mashed sweet potato. Are you going to do mashed sweet potatoes? Are you going to do scalloped? What are you thinking for the top? I want to, I want a mashed sweet potato just to kind of go with the same texture aspect, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to go like with the brown sugar top and yep. like, the marshmallows like that's it's the wrong direction wait I, yeah, yeah i agree i wanted to get more of like um even if i ended up chunking out just on the top chunking out and like crumbling up a little bit of goat cheese for that like hard oh, yeah. tang but at the same time like we had a di- we had like a savory um it was actually at a brewery maybe i was a couple beers in so everything tasted good <laughs> but there were savory whole potato well it was cooked potatoes but then at the same time the goat cheese was there and there was a bunch of rosemary and like i just couldn't get enough of it mainly because it was like it wasn't on the sweet end of where sweet potato usually comes from i really liked Mm -hmm. i really liked the savoriness from that and so that's where that got me thinking like that would be the great topping to this to be that that savory element to really kind of provide like just to be i don't know hold it all together because the smoke salmon in itself it's gonna stand up it's got a yep. pungent enough flavor i don't know maybe i was looking at color at that point like the the potato the sweet potato flesh and then the the salmon the smoked salmon they they look they look similar but at the same time i just feel like that pairing either it's gonna it's either it's gonna be a home run or there's a reason it hasn't been found yet so that's where i was playing with that I think I think the sweet potato and the salmon. I mean, both you're gonna get kind of earthy tones out of out of both. Um, and I think it's like it's a very common meal to find together. Good deal. Yeah, I think I think you're onto something. Okay. Yeah, I think we're tracking. All right. So we're sticking simple. We've got yep. the onion. We've got the spinach. We got the salmon. That's my uh, that's my large elements going into a creamy, soft cheese ish, mild cheese sauce. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. I'm going to heat up my milk and then add in the cheese to that. And if it's a little runny, hey, that's okay. You can leave that. You can mop that up with a piece of bread that we have on the on the side. Mix that all in together so that I get the consistency I want. I'm sure there's going to have to be some some eyeballing at this point. I might even mm-hmm. just have to ladle ladle into my filling and then see how that how it develops. That might have to, yep. that might be the route rather than dump it all into the sauce and be like, ah, shoot, it's all swimming. <laughs> it's not no, no, no. Work. Yeah, I, I think you're on that like ladle in. That way you can add it in just a little bit at a time until you get kind of what you want. Yep. 
I want it to be held together. I want that binding element, and that's where that cheese is really, I think, going to do that. But at the same time, like, yeah, I don't need it to be the brown gravy. We don't need another gravy mm-hmm. aspect to this. Hitting that top again, we talked already about it. I'm going to, you know, I, I will. I'm going to add the little goat cheese in there. We need some twang. Yeah. We need some acid. Uh, sticking with rosemary, or is it, should, I add, should I go with some thyme on that, or should I keep it pretty uh, straight? I would keep pretty pretty straight. Like, I, I would go one or the other. One or the other. Yeah. Gotcha. Restaurant did rosemary. I think I'm, I'll stick with rosemary. They they get paid the money to, to make food, so... <laughs> I don't get paid money. I just get uh, just a good chance to play with it. So, <laughs> cool. Well, we have got a game plan here now. I got to go to the store because I've got I got to go find some Fontina cheese. If I don't find that, I know for a fact I can find Havarti. I've used mm-hmm. Havarti before. Actually, I used Havarti with squirrel, and that turned out actually really well. I made I call them uh, bushy bushy tail buns. And it was a little yeast roll. I just kind of rolled it out, and then I put a piece of square cheese in there, a little bit of caramelized onion, and a little dab of shredded squirrel. Rolled that up, baked it till the yeast roll was done. I tell you, that was a great little treat. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. delicious. It's just simple. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you make a mess of them up. That's the problem is I made a couple that were too big, and they were about the size of uh, – like a quarter pounder uh, hamburger bun, so it really was like, oh man, I can't, I'm ready to be done with this yeast and with all this squirrel in there. <laughs> but then at the same time, like I made some that were they were just about the size of a donut hole, and man, that was that was the perfect size right there. Nice, just one little bite, just a little, just a little morsel. <laughs> well, man, we've been all over. I'm excited for this dockside pie. And the elements of this will be going together probably, well, I don't know. We're going to be busy, but I got the fish now. I've already got it smoked. I got to get to work. It's going to be midweek. So the it will be done pre this episode dropping. So I will hold back my excitement in these next couple days, and then I will reveal it to the world. How do you think, how's that going to work for you, Justin? Can you I, I wait? Think it's awesome. Can you wait till Valentine's Day to hear about this? I, I mean, maybe. I, I think so. I'm excited. Now I'm like, I'm excited and I'm a little nervous too. <laughs> well, good deal. Good deal. Keep the nerves up because I, I don't know. When I play sports, like if I don't feel the butterflies, mm-hmm. why do it anymore? You know, the, the love of the game is gone. You know, I'm excited here. I want, I want to make people happy, but at the same time, I'm willing to risk, risk that off-looking face of like, eh, not this time, bud. <laughs> <laughs> well, Justin, I do want to honor our hour here, and we are coming up on, the, on this hour. Um, I do know there's one piece of news that we haven't talked about, be it from Harvesting Nature. So this is a great time to insert this. Um, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about where we can find Harvesting Nature and... Uh, drop the news on the new magazine that's sure. been coming out from Harvesting Nature. This is your like shameless plug time right here. <laughs> Tell us where we can find more about that. Sure. Um, so uh, everything we do, so you can go on just about any social media platform uh, and search for Harvesting Nature, and you can find us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those normal stops. 
Uh, we're also over on Go Wild, too. Got a nice little page there where we share, share all our content. And then the bulk of everything we do is going to live on our website, harvestingnature.com. So there you're going to be able to find cooking classes. You're going to find wild food recipes. You're going to find adventure stories. You're going to find short films. You'll find the link to all of our podcasts. Uh, Nick mentioned them earlier. They're all great. You know, we've got the Wild Fish and Game podcast where we talk about everything cooking and eating of wild food. Um, we've got the Adventures for Food, which is adventure stories of people going out and actually finding you know, their own food. It, it can be successful or unsuccessful. It's a story nonetheless, and we like to celebrate those moments because that's real. And then um, just like Nick mentioned, we're, we're going to be launching our first issue of the Harvesting Nature magazine in mid-March, and uh, it's going to be an electronic magazine that also is able to be printed on demand. So really what that means is if you're the type of person that likes to look at it on your phone, read through all the articles, you'll be able to interact, play videos, click through links, do all that. So it functions very similarly to a website. But when you're like, you know what, I really like this. I want to put it on the coffee table. I want to show my friends when they come over to drink beer. Uh, you can just hit a button and boom, it'll print and get shipped straight to your house. So those are all very cool features we're very excited about. Um, it's basically going to have a lot of the content that our website does, uh, but it's going to be very like polished, very beautiful, uh, beautifully delivered. But here's the thing is that we're, we're telling stories, we're writing recipes, we're capturing the adventures of, of the everyday hunter, angler, forager, cook, all those folks, right? We're telling your story. We're telling my story. You know, everybody loves to dream about $35,000 trips to Africa, right? But when it comes down to it, something that I can relate with more is like going out in my backyard and, you know, foraging around and going down the street three, four, five miles to, you know, the, my first set of public land and going squirrel hunting. Like those types of stories I'm really into because they're telling the stories of us, which is great. And we're, we're trying to really represent the community. So, I'm excited to see this come through. You know, the stories are going to be there. Uh, we've got a great feature coming through in the March edition. We're talking about some spring turkey hunting. Uh, we're talking about shad fishing. We've got some, uh, goodness, we've got fish recipes. We've got turkey recipes. We've got an awesome photo essay. Uh, we've got some tech reviews. Literally, like, we're just kind of diving into everything and uh I, i'm excited it's going to be a, a great a great magazine every day i get to converse with ben who's our editor and this, he just gets me fired up because I, I hear about all these great stories and and people wanting to be involved in it and it's it's awesome so that stay tuned cool. <laughs> stay tuned march 2022 and it'll be quarterly so we'll do uh seasonal seasonal issues Oh, so fun. So fun. Yeah. I, I'm going to be all on board, uh, for this magazine. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a bathroom reader and not to say that I'm going to, you know, literally have your stuff next in the toilet. <laughs> it'll be next to the toilet, but I know it'll be visited quite frequently. Perfect. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, Justin, this has been great. Um, hold on for just a second as I, uh, send our listeners on out. Well, folks, if you've been out on the ice and you've just been hammering all those bluegills, well, good for you because I haven't been. But keep up getting your limits. Keep on getting your fish uh, and fillet those things out. If you are the traditional fryer of fish, 
then you do that all through this season of Lent if you are uh, if you're a Catholic goer. Uh, but if you need something different, maybe think about one of those fish cakes. I mean, you know, or if you've got fish that's still in your freezer from last year, this would be a great way to use that. Even going with a, you know, getting one of those pikes and, or uh, even just a big smelly, smelly catfish. You want to make something out of it, like hide it in, in a dip. But then at the same time, if you're really feeling out there, maybe you can join us for a little dockside pie. We're going to start out with salmon, and that might be something you want to do. But whatever you're going to do this Lent season in using your fish, make sure that the knife that you're using always stays sharp.